Welcome to another podcast from Rethinking Economics Australia. My name is Bernard Thompson and I'm the National Coordinator for Rethinking Economics. Our aim with these podcasts is to explore economic thinking and how a better understanding, a new orientation can lead to positive developments for society and our environment. I'll begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the Kaurna land where I'm speaking from. I pay my respects to elders past and present. Our guest today is Tyson Junkerporter. Welcome. Please start, uh, Tyson, by telling us a little bit about yourself, and then you can introduce the theme or the topic that uh, you've proposed for us. Right. Um, well, I'm a, a Australian Aboriginal scholar, um, uh, academic. I'm, I'm not a very good one, though. You know, like I don't publish in the best journals or everything. My publication history is rubbish. And, um, <laughs> so, you know, um, I'm not going to ever be a professor or anything. I'm at about senior research fellow status. Um, and that's probably as far as I'm going to go, just just from my just general capacity. You know, I'm, I'm aware of my limitations here. Um, <laughs> but there's some pretty fertile ground at the sort of at that uh, interface between um, our cultural knowledge in Indigenous Australia and and sort of, um, I don't know, the kind of state of flux that everything's in now in the disciplines where people aren't really sure what's real, people can't agree on anything, um, the world seems to be in turmoil, either that or it's just people are noticing the turmoil a bit more because of... Uh, you know, more efficient communications, etc. Um, so sort of that's where I'm placed at the moment. Um, I just, you know, I, I, I wrote a book that was basically, I guess you'd have to call it hipster pop science if you were going to be really generous, but it's certainly like pseudoscience and, and there's a lot of, <clears throat> I don't know, guru cultish discourses in there that pretty much anybody, everybody's deploying. Uh, these days in most communications that aren't peer reviewed. <laughs> okay. So um that's about that's about where I'm at. I'm I'm, right. I'm nothing special. My homelands are right up the top of Australia, uh, in Cape York. Uh, I'm currently living right down the bottom. Um and I'll be here for another couple of years and then I'll I'll head back home. Um you know, I'm practically in Antarctica. <laughs> okay. But but weirdly sweating like a pig right now. Um it, <laughs> Okay. Weather is really weird at the moment. Indeed, um, indeed. So, the, I, what I understand is that you you proposed a um, a topic to explore, which addresses the question or looks into the question of land and capital, and how they should or shouldn't get conflated, and or something along along those lines. Can you elaborate that? Yeah, look, I mean, basically, this isn't an anti capitalist thing, you know, I don't care what you all do. Um, knock yourselves out, have, have your free market, that's not really a free market, that's, you know, a bunch of oligopolies and, and weird exceptionalist ideologies and stuff all mixed together where people are actively participating in their own destruction. That's fine, get on with it. That's good. Um, <clears throat> but there's a foundational um, problem uh, that's happened, you know, in the last couple of centuries or so, um, whereby land became capital. I mean, so such an idea has, has just been, 
I mean, it's it's just it's it's never occurred before. Now, um, just to clarify, when you use the word capital, do you mean the same as property or an economic input or? I, I'm talking about um, an asset against which you can, um, an asset you can use to speculate. Okay, so okay, that, so in terms of financial sort of capital, so you know, so um, land as an yeah as a property that has um, you know fluctuating market value, you know, uh, depending on what the trends are and how limitable and excludable that is, and so therefore how it's priced depending on who you can um, deny access to and who you can exclude from that place. Right. Which, you know, um, as human beings, we have a really important ecological niche in the landscape. You know, we have a custodial role there biologically that we're supposed to be performing in those systems. And we need to be moving across that landscape. We need to be um, doing the things we need to do to care for it. But most land is, you know, not just private property or state property or something else, but it's also capital um, that, I mean, against which people can borrow uh, massive amounts of money to, you know, uh, then go and speculate, you know, into okay. infinity with, with, with that. Um, so I think the foundational problem of... You know, I'm not talking about the economic system of, you know, or capitalism or anything like that. Like, obviously, the financial system is is a problem, and it's about you know, big intergenerational wealth transfer. Um, it's you know, incredibly destructive, impossible system that's been gamed and gamed and gamed and deregulated and gamed again into infinity. Um, you know, that's obviously a big problem, but right at, if you go right down through the evolutionary stack, right at the foundation of this thing is the idea of land as capital. Right. Now that, that originally happened, um, it was like a little magic trick that was invented to, um, to get Indian lands, um, back off, uh, from, um, Native Americans, you know, who under treaty had reservations and lands set aside for them. Um, the mortgage was kind of invented um, as a trick to, um, you know, get them to make their mark on, on, on a document in exchange for some glass beads or whatever. And then, um, you know, then, of course, when they couldn't pay up, it's like, well, you default, your lands go back to us. It was right. just like a, it was a legal fiction, uh, financial fiction, economic fiction that was invented to trick Native Americans out of their lands. It was so successful that it was then deployed against the um, all the the poor, you know, people who were had had given their lives and blood to fight to steal that land in the first place as well, and then to make it productive and then to build the infrastructure. It was then deployed against them as a method for the oligarchs to be able to take back all that land as well. It worked so well in the Americas that it was taken up everywhere. Um, and then, so there was uh, technology invented then, you know, su surveying equipment, all that sort of stuff that basically divided the entire world into this grid pattern of a whole heap of blocks of land, you know, this property that then became um, the basis of the financial system. Okay, so let's say, <clears throat> th let's think prior to let's what we might call private ownership, Yeah, land was steward there was some not perhaps controls too strong a word but there was oversight there was management there was care there was oh, yeah. attribution 
as to who had access under what conditions. So that question of, let's call it stewardship, is an important one, mm. regardless of who has provisional so-called ownership. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, land couldn't be sold before. It, it, yes. it couldn't be bought and sold. It could be stolen, like for sure, you know, if, if you had you know, better armor and axes and a few horses, then, then you could take it okay. know, in, in Europe. But, you know, what usually remained was the peasantry. And, you know, there was a continuity of stewardship of the landscape right up until the Industrial Revolution, you know. And, um, um, I mean, when the, it's only been about a century that this idea of nations has existed just over a century and sort of that was there to sort of better facilitate you know centralized governments uh, centralized economies where there are millions and millions of people all part of the same machine working towards that you know and under that central authority um, that that's only a very recent thing it's been a century-long experiment that's failed spectacularly and that's kind of all bound up in this um you know, land as capital deal. Indeed, indeed. The, the issue of, of ownership or control, that this is mine and you can't take it away from me or you can only, but you know, access it subject to uh, my approval, that, or, the, or put it another, in another way, the, the issue of who decides what about land land use, land mm. practice, land distribution, was always um, a necessary process within cultures, even a very, mm. let's call it a simple, if, if you were nomadic, perhaps you had no concerns for the so-called ownership other than you expected to be able to, to move across the land mm. freely and take your cattle or whatever from one place to another and you didn't have any claim on the land, but you had a sort of claim that you would have that freedom, so to speak. And that was respected, presumably, unless there were other tribal interests or other group interests that wanted to restrict that access because they had another claim uh, on the land. And of course, yes, people have feuded for, <laughs> for centuries or millennia on various issues. The more recent personal ownership if it's owned by a tribe or a nation state, then it's kind of, it's a bigger group claim. But when it becomes private, mine and yours, you've got a house, I've got a house, and it sits on a block of land, which no one else can then occupy, mm. it's mine. Mm. That issue is a kind of cornerstone of what one might call a... Um, the capitalist system that people have access or rights to private property. Well, it's, it's something of an illusion. And Annex just joined us. Yes, Hi, welcome, Annick. Annick. And, and she'll, she, she'll be able to tell you about, you know, um, how much of an illusion that is. But basically, you know, if, if I would say, what's going to happen to your private property if you don't pay your, your rates? you know, all your taxes, etc. You know, basically you're there as a <clears throat> we've got special guests. Yeah. You're you're there as a frontier sort of person who's there to hold and improve and develop that land on behalf of someone else who is going to take it from you um and who actually actually owns it. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, uh, 
Anik can... Uh... Perhaps to bring you in, Anik. Yes. Um, Tyson's been sort of, uh, what's the word, unfolding the landscape for us on the, uh, well, multi, uh, multiple issues around uh, land ownership primarily and how you, of course, can refuse access to other people who don't own it and how that kind of moved from nation state ownership to now corporate or private ownership. Mm. And with all the injustices that can follow from that. Yeah. I wonder, perhaps we had a little chance, or Tyson could introduce himself briefly. Can you introduce yourself and your relationship to this topic? Well, um, so yeah, my name is Anik Thomas. I am originally from uh, Quebec in Canada. Uh, I work at the Centre for Aboriginal Economic Policy Research at the Australian National University. Um, my connection, my interest around um, alternative economies and, and this kind of issue comes a little bit from the side um, of my uh, PhD was on uh, co-management of fisheries in the Torres Strait. Um, and I felt I couldn't really look at, into fisheries if I was not looking uh, into how Torres Strait Islanders have organized their broader economies, which is um, not necessarily um, like the government is trying to, to push a certain line uh, into industrialization of Torres Strait Islanders fisheries. But if you start looking um, at what's happening on the ground, there's a lot of interesting things um, um, that sustain uh, local economies on the ground and unfortunately is not supported enough. Um, so a model that really is um, looking more based on relationship between everyone involved and, and connection to uh, the marine territories and islands. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> so the, the connection with, I mean, when Tyson, we were talking about land, of course, we can talk about, uh, let's say, uh, control over uh, sea, if you like, or what mm. lives in the sea as another a comparable question who should have what claim on what uh, coastal mm. areas etc so Anik from your research would the traditional concept of who has who owns let's say either a, an area of sea or however that was defined how, how did that work well well Torres Strait Islanders have what um, has been defined um, as customary, customary marine tenure regime. So, um, and it's it's uh, it's kind of areas of the sea that are hold in. It's it's the term ownership is always problematic because um, people had hold responsibilities and and um, and there's there's a form of like potential for excluding other people to come in because there's certain rules um, in, into who comes in a territory. Um, and it's based largely on reciprocity. Um, but yeah, it's a form of, it's a system that include a lot of people in, in the community. So it's a, it's, it's hold more commonly than uh, by a single uh, individual, but it's, yeah, it's hold, hold by, um, by, a, like a community as all well, like a, in the Torres Strait, it's kind of easier because it's island by island, I suppose, um, but it's much broader than an island territory. Mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of interesting in this 
in the context of, of fisheries and customary marine tenure because it took a long time to, for a, the British law to even recognize that there could be some something like some form of ownership of the sea because the, 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 the British law um, based on, on the lock theory um, is that if you don't put work into something, you cannot um, and improve mm. something, you cannot own it. So, um, so it's kind of a weird contrast um, here, which is kind of, it's almost difficult to compare both. Um, that, that is a very interesting point because one of the arguments for uh, assigning ownership of land or claiming ownership was, well, I plowed it for so many mm -hmm. years, and if it's going to belong to anybody, I should have first dibs on this block of land because my families and whatever have been living here for so long. In the sea issue, it, what I understand you saying is that the cultural backdrop or the understanding amongst those who lived in the area made the distribution or allocation or uh, access work and people would presumably they'd have better seasons, not so good, there'd be trade amongst islands. There was some kind of understood method for both exploiting and caring for the resources. Yeah, yeah. it's a different kind of title. Yeah. You know, you, you, you it's, it's inheritable. So it, it's a kind of commons. You yes, know, that is, it's not bound by, you know, the single lifetime of an individual or something like that. It's a commons that's, it's collectively owned uh, by your ancestors, but also your descendants, um, but also to all of the other uh, different groups around who care for, um, care for the surrounding territories, you know, what you do in your place affects them. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can't damn this river or this creek um or or pump it dry uh to irrigate your ground you can't kill your ground by plowing it or something like that that has yeah. knock-on effects for people upstream you know there are flows that go okay. through these natural systems so, so now you do have however you have a, a kind of a quarantine authority for your bioregion and usually your boundaries, you know, will be bioregional in their, in their nature. And you do have a quarantine responsibilities for what you allow to flow through and what you stop um, at the border. And th that includes human activity as well as, um, you know, different seeds coming in, um, different kinds of animals, invasive species, all these sorts of things. Um, if you decide to allow something new in, then you have to... <laughs> manage how to bring that into balance with the system so if you bring right. in a new species um so in the Torres Strait you know you get lots of you got lots of cashew nuts and you know, tamarind trees that came through <laughs> trade from a long time ago we've got them up north as well and the coast they came down uh through trade through Asia you know um hundreds and hundreds of years ago um you know maybe as, as long as a thousand years ago um you know, there's actually an embassy under a very old tamarind tree um, on the coast, traditionally for for international trade, and that's where people would have to come okay. so and can go I... through the protocols to come in. So you do have a quarantine kind right. of role there, and but you are a custodian of that place, you know, for all the generations that went before and all yes. the generations that will come after. So really the idea of private property in that 
is not really right. You know. So tell now, me. I, I've got to also get back to this idea of um, uh, this ties in with that idea that you said of, of nomads, right? You know, so people. So I mean, I mean, even if you know, there are very few cultures in the world that just kind of um, roam randomly. Um, if if they do, then that's a temporary culture. <laughs> you know, nobody just rhyme, roams randomly. There are traditional migratory routes. Yeah. You know, and those routes, there is a kind of uh, a title and a sovereignty of place. Yes. Which is that route. So your country is that migratory route. Um, in Aboriginal Australia, because the continent is so huge, you know, we have massive sort of seasonal estates you know, where your band will move seasonally around that. Okay. Now, of course, to the European mind, this means, you know, because they're not sedentary, then this is nomads. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's not. It actually makes more sense because you're making sure you're living in the ideal place in each of the seven or eight seasons sure. you know, that are in your place. Do I um, take it, sorry to interrupt, do I take it then that we really have <clears> a culture <throat> clash between the attitude or concept of custodianship versus ownership. And that one of the challenges, I think you know, I read a little bit from your work, Anik, that one of the challenges was that when the government or uh, state authority or whatever moves in to assist the locals, they tend to want to assist with uh, motivating them to greater productivity, let's say, and not necessarily damaging productivity but productivity all the same that they can then trade and with the trade acquire new you know assets and whatever and it's along those lines that you look to people's let's say self-interest that if they participate in this way of thinking then they too will get a new ute the latest this more comforts etc and that's uh that's the inducement, so to speak, to, to look at your fisheries as a resource to be exploited in, let's say, a more negative sense. It's, it's just that ultimately we're, uh, uh, there's this, this term of um, equi equivocation and the, it's using, like when we talk about the economy and creating um, like opportunities and things like that, we have, we often have two, at least two, if not more, group of people that come into a table to discuss these ideas using similar vocabulary, but don't doesn't think at all, talk at all about the right. same thing. So um, often, I mean, with these ideas of closing the gaps and uh, and things like that, it, it's it often try to improve First Nations um, economies, but never look into what uh, underpins the, 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 the reasoning for, for these economies and also what's actually happening and is good within these economies. And um, so I'm, I'm just thinking, in, it's hard because I don't like talking for, <laughs> I'm not trying to talk for people here, but, um, you know, like you're, in you're married in, you're married in there, aren't you? Uh, well, we're not married, but we've been together for 14 years. So. That's, <laughs> that that's married. married. That's married <laughs> in our way. Yeah. You're married in. Yeah, yeah. And, so you know, you, you got some, you got some rights. But um, 
but you know like this um you look at what's going on 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 the island and often um there's there's a system if you uh if you push people to go into um industrial style fisheries and you ask them uh, to like adopt like a call uh what is it yeah, individual transferable quotas or that kind of system you force them to there's a lot more capital involved therefore there's a lot more um you need to catch a lot more mm. of the sea to sustain that often eventually it kind of like exclude everyone who are not able to either participate in that system or not willing to participate in that system um Often in the Torres Strait, for example, people are really involved in smaller scale fisheries and um, some of them fish full time, but most people fish when they need, um, they, they, they want extra money for all sorts of reasons. Sure. And it's not necessarily constant all like each week or each season yeah. and everything. And, and, but then they kind of work on doing other stuff for the government or for school or for all sorts of um like other kind of sector of the economy and mm -hmm. like also with non-cash uh, sector yeah. of the economy mm -hmm. yeah. and something needs to happen to recognize that this is an extremely valuable system um because you know like i don't even understand the point of working nine to five um for, for what like i mean people actually live in such beautiful places um people would pay millions of dollars and billions of dollars to live in in some of the places that um Torres Strait Islander um live in um but they they i'm getting lost a little bit in okay. my thoughts well, well, look, let's, uh, I, I need to i need to jump okay. in here yeah. sorry yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's just let's just um before we move on um, let's just break down these terms and the ideas of you know, the difference between land and sea. Yes. You know, so, you know, in, in our way, there's no separation between how we, our proprietary interests over sea, over waters and, and land. It's, it's one thing, <clears throat> you know, that dichotomy is part of a, a, a Northern hemisphere kind of idea, a separation. Um, now, as you were saying before, you know, you have to, in order to have a proprietary interest in a territory, you have to be able to work it and develop it and those things will stand. Um, I guess in an indigenous deep time perspective, um, the land is just as fluid as the sea. So where you might think, you know, I can't work this patch of water and then have that work stand. You know, because within 24 hours, it will be somewhere else. <laughs> so, you know, if you understand the, the way landscape works and you're looking even just from season to season, the flows that happen across the landscape, then you understand the landscape to be fluid as well. Mm. That things are moving through your ecosystem all the time. You're understanding your landscape is connected uh, to all the others. And, you know, it's almost like there are tides and currents um, running through the landscape all the time because most of what is land is biota that moves. It either moves through the spreading of its seeds or, you know, um, through entities that are actually mobile like animals and birds and all these sorts of things constantly moving through the sky land and water 
and there are interactions between all of those zones. So where a lot of people would say, well, you can't own the air or you can't own the water because it's always moving and there's nothing to hold. We wouldn't see the land as being any different from that. Okay, you know, your, your territorial boundaries that are very much defined by, by on a bioregional basis, you know, these are, you're looking after an area where you're performing a quarantine role there. You're maximizing um, the, the increase and health of your ecosystem, not just for the local benefit of your bioregion, but also to all the other bioregions that's connected to and where there are constantly flows going through. Okay. I mean, this is, so, so this is most apparent to people when there is water, fresh water running through. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, you would see a creek or a river running through and you would understand that if I blocked or used all that water in my bioregion selfishly, that the next bioregion would suffer and they would all die. Um, it's the same with everything that moves through the landscape. So we come back to this idea of the problem of having land as capital, where capital, you know, um, an asset like that can only be priced and only have value if it's limitable and excludable. Okay. So let me just, one of the uh, big features of the Australian continent is of course the mineral resources mm -hmm. that sit in various locations. Now, what? So, a, a, a question really mm. when someone uh, comes along, a geologist or whatever, says, Look, I know there's some valuable iron or whatever in the ground here. Um, if we dig it up, the traditional owners would say, Well, this is our land in, in a certain way of understanding the ownership thing. Uh, and what has been done, I think, to date is there's been either royalties paid or it's just been taken or whatever. It's been exploited because they, the, the equipment, the technology to dig in and, and pull it out was not available to the locals, needs huge investments, etc. And the question comes, well, who should decide what is extracted and how the benefits of that extraction are distributed? How would the, what process should be followed there? Um, because what I see is we have, of course, on one hand, we have to confront the human condition, which is not equally shared, of the desire for more. Yeah. Ac All right. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop you there because here's, here's, here's where the problem is. That's, that's regarded as sovereignty. That's regarded as self-determination. The idea that um, you know we can decide the conditions under which um, all these minerals are extracted, and you know what percentage of benefits going to go where, but you know it never even comes out that much. But anyway, that's not self determination. That's um that's self administration, and these are two very very different things. You know, um, basically it's you know slapping a coat of paint on a house where the walls are full of ants. You know, um, the, the, the question that needs to be asked, which is why I've gone straight to the bottom of the stack with this provocation about land as capital, and would it be possible to remove the concept of land as capital? Um, the reason that I've done that is because it's, it's absolutely key. So we're asking our questions about, well, how do we give Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people a voice? in um, the extraction of minerals from their land. It's like, okay, how, how about, is a more valid question, um, 
how do we actually set up a, a geopolitical system on this planet whereby rampant, continually, um, endlessly growing extraction um, that's like exponentially growing all the time, where that's not needed in order for a nation or some entity like Australia to even survive. Because at the moment, Australia only enjoys the privileges that it has based on extraction, um, horrendous levels of extraction of resources from Aboriginal land. That's it. That's, that's the only reason Australia, uh, uh, that's all there is to the Australian economy. There isn't much else. And the prosperity that Australia has enjoyed, which is now dwindling horrifically uh, since the end of the construction phase, you know, what they call the mining boom. Um, now that's dwindling. They're having to ramp up production even more. And of course, with the global, um, the, the GFC and, you know, which never really ended. Um, and now the, the massive, um, uh, the massive contraction that's a, occurred with, um, uh, with 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 COVID, with the pandemic and everything else, and the disruption of supply chains and markets, uh, and the job market, etc., 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 things are even worse. So Australia, as in the past, will have to dig its way out uh, just to stay afloat, uh, which is becoming problematic with its um, increasingly troubled relationship with China, which is basically Australia still here because of China and selling massive amounts of mineral resources to China um, from Aboriginal land. Now with China rolling back its rare earth metals production, um, uh, they're looking to Australia now uh, to take on that role of, of completely destroying their environment to do that. Um, so so, so rare earth metal, I, I have to finish, the rare yeah. earth metal <laughs> mines are opening up all over Aboriginal land in Australia now. But it won't just be that, it'll be the um, refining of rare earth metals, which produces radioactive waste, which will also have to be stored on Aboriginal land. We're basically looking at the complete devastation and destruction of Aboriginal land, whatever's left of it um, in Australia over the next decade or two, um, just in order to kick the can down the road a little bit longer um, for Australia's economy and within the global economic system that okay. we have. Does that, does the, that the, the, base of the stack i keep coming back to it in every analysis i've done it comes back to to the fact of land as capital and it's about two-thirds of the capital in the world is land you know and so my provocation is my thought experiment is what would a system would a free market system look like without land as capital and how would it be possible uh to make that move towards a system where land wasn't capital because as long as land is capital, you have to inhibit the flows of people and um, other entities across the landscape. And so you will have entropy in the landscape. No matter how many trees you plant, the whole thing's going to be a big dead park, okay, a mon so monument to nothing. So when we remove land as capital in the sense of tradable, uh, of a tradable commodity, Mm -hmm. meaning land is now, let's say, returned to the commons and the commons is administered according to the processes established by the inhabitants of that area in relation to others, presumably, because like you say, mm. what you do in your plot impacts the neighbour, mm. either because you take it first and the neighbour can't get it later or however. So yep. we, the issue of custodianship is not removed or let's say uh 
doesn't necessarily just become simple because no. you don't no longer have Woodside deciding mm. where they put their drills. Mm. Mm. So, so you, 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 I guess you can't be federated. You have to be more sort of syndicated, you know, uh, with all of these semi-autonomous communities. It's basically, I don't know, it's like the local governments or shires that you have now. Um, I, I guess the only way this could work was if they actually had a lot more autonomy and actual self-determination um, rather than the self-administration that we currently have of, you know, uh, local governments basically, you know, on the ground enforcing state and federal law. Um, okay. Uh, operating within that, it would just be the same system but what, sort of back the other way. <laughs> if you have a, say you have a, an area that's populated by a certain group, and mm. under that particular area of land, there are some very vital or significant minerals or whatever. Mm. Is it up to that group alone to decide uh, the merits or otherwise of extraction, regardless of the wider interest? So if we take it now, you said South Africa built a lot of its wealth on gold, diamonds and so on. It just happened to have them there. Of course, it led to a lot of damage. Emeralds was, too, like you wouldn't so, have Elon Musk without uh, indeed, South African indeed. emeralds. Yeah. Just as the Arabs or so many Arab states sit on a ton of oil, just happens to be there and they have jurisdiction over it. Uh, and Australia has what it has. Of course, a lot of so-called assets lead to awful trauma uh, in terms of their extraction and so on. But they are also a potential. So while we're sitting here on Zoom, we are using or participating. A, a potential in, for what? Well, what we're a potential doing right for now, a potential for yeah a potential for making you know the next shiny new fragile thing a potential for making okay well what about the bionic eye isn't that a bloody miracle that's great isn't it you know it's it's like the blind can see we're going to make these bionic eyes but then as soon as that corporation decides you know they're going to finish and merge with another one then they shut down the servers and suddenly the bionic eyes stop working <laughs> there's obsolescence in all of these novel technologies sure. and it's built in and it's constantly expanding it's not improving anything okay so pretty much nothing better now that anybody's got it's any better than what they had in the 70s, for God's sake. It's like, so, you know, the potential of these things uh, under the ground is just devastation. It's just the, I mean, Annick and I, when we talked yesterday, we just, both of us, we're so exhausted. We're like broken people. We're absolutely sick to death of laboring under this system with absolutely no hope of ever, right. ever, ever um, securing any kind of future for our children, of even being able to afford a shelter, you know, where we're not renting um, down the track. Well, you know, we're both professionals. You know, we're both, you know, probably in the top 10% of incomes in the country, and we have no hope of ever, ever owning a house. You know, I mean, I'm a, I'm, so I've sold a lot of copies of my book. I still don't have the potential even of owning a house in this market. Sure, I, I, You're not I, inheriting yeah. intergenerational wealth from way back here. You've got nothing. Yes, You, you yes. can't compete in this market. Nobody can get into the real estate market. Yeah. And I mean, it's, unless you're uh, an oligarch that's just buying up a whole heap sure. of places that are just going to stand empty yeah. or that are going to be rented out. Okay, that's and a those rents, hang on a sec, those rents are now being bundled in the same way that that bad mortgages used to be bundled. These are now turning into like, you know, 
dodgy financial assets yes you know that can be speculated on into infinity as well so that's another bubble that's going to go people need to be sheltered you know people need to be Indeed. fed and so, people so, need water and people need sure. you know meaningful things to do this is something that land gives us these are all things that land has always given us in abundance as human beings now you have a system a very recent system that's removed everybody from the land and this is only an industrial civilization industrial capitalism all people have been removed from the land yes so the things that land used to provide you know it's like these cities these civilizations are supposed to provide those things it's a watered down version and it's not very good and it's not very secure but still it should provide the minimum that people sure. need just to be able to thrive in some sort of way it's not doing that for most people yeah it's okay, not so, working so people I, can't be sheltered and people have no land people have no meaning they can't do any sense making because our cognition is bound up with landscapes and moving across landscapes and caring for landscapes we can't think anymore we can't relate to each other. We can't be in place. We can't make sense. We can't feed right. ourselves properly. We can't shelter. We can't so, do anything. So, Anik, would, would when you, well, what I picked up from what you were saying is that there, there lurks there a certain desire or aspiration to, so to speak, reintegrate with a more immediate and in a certain sense, simple lifestyle, less distracted, less, uh, less um, frustrated by pressures and demands and anxieties and all the rest of it. Is that a fair uh, assessment? But um, it's, it's much more complicated. I mean, I, mean I'm, I would just like to go back to something you said earlier, Bernard, um, about how if if like people who actually happen to live in a certain space then control or uh, the, the the wealth that's let's say in the ground or something like that um like what would happen and and i'm thinking that on i'm thinking that often i'm thinking in australia for example it's not necessarily the 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 first nations that are sitting on the uranium kind of site or whatever uh, that will make more like most of the money even in terms of employment that doesn't necessarily mean that they will be the one being employed there um it and and without going to the fact that it destroys because land is not only land is land is really is your kin land is is much more than 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 something you extract and use so and and I think that's something we need to learn as relearn as human being to go back to that kind of relationship um, with the land, I think that's the only, only mm. that um, okay. With, with, it's that illusion of co-management, isn't it? It's like it's like yeah. someone coming in and saying, "We're going to abuse your kids two days a week. We need to take your kids away and 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 abuse them." Um, but you know what? You get to decide which days because we're co-managing this. Yeah. You know, you're you have complete self-determination in deciding which days we're going to take your kids away. Um, can we have Tuesdays and Thursdays? Okay, Tuesdays no good for you. Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursday. All right, Wednesday and Thursday. Those will be the days when we'll har harm your children. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's just it's just rubbish. I'm so sick of it. And and all we do is go round and round and round. Mm. 
we, we it's it's that it's that uh overton window thing you know it's that's the only place we're allowed to speak is within you know rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic or how whatever metaphor you want yeah, yeah. it's absolute rubbish which is why i really wanted to open this up into actually getting to the bottom of the stack which is the root of the problem which is land as capital I hear you making a sort of, or it makes me think of a distinction that you're perhaps suggesting to that which is, so to speak, recyclable on land, that which grows and flows, so to speak, and returns, mm. and that which is effectively permanently located until or unless it is removed. And that maybe there is a difference in how we treat those two elements. Um, Mostly you could say, or perhaps understand that before the technology that could go in there and pull it all out, when it was relatively simple. So if you needed iron ore, say in the Middle Ages, you could get some, but you hmm. nothing of a scale that we can do now. Yeah, it's the technology, mining, gr mining grottos. They've it, existed forever. We, we, have, we have mines in Australia that we've been mining for tens of thousands of years in the same place, right. generation after generation. And, you know, there's heaps there. But and it was a it's, question it's of not scale. destroying the landscape. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and scale in yeah. industrial civilization is just, I mean, okay. it, it, that, that has to stop. It hasn't made it, it hasn't improved anybody's lives except a very, very tiny percentage of the human population. And those people aren't happy anyway. And so would you attribute then the, uh, let's say a major com uh, component of our practice, our destructive practice, to our technological prowess. I mean, we if you look at the equipment, it is a, an, one can't but be impressed of the intelligence that's gone into this sort of capacity. But I mean, if there was anything that you made <laughs> that lasted longer than two years, I'd be impressed. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just absolutely sick to death of this idea that these these devices are miraculous, life-changing, wonderful things when you just have to replace them every couple of years or every uh, Yeah, I'm thinking more about the, the, the obsolescence of everything produced by this industrial civilization is just freaking ridiculous. And then the idea that those things have to be dumped, they can't be maintained, yeah. they can't be repaired. You know, if, uh, so if, I mean, you know, I, I, something goes wrong with one part of my phone it would cost more than a new phone just sure. to repair it. You know, that it's that's not advancement. No. That's not progress. That's not genius. It's freaking idiocy. <laughs> now the guy the guy who invented um leaded petrol, he wanted to get lead into petrol. You know, now that is unique in in the history of the earth over billions of years that there was one organism that affected change on a planetary scale more than any other um organism in the natural history of this planet and was that idiot he was an absolute genius and he devoted his life against all the odds to pursuing this dream of getting led into petrol he made it happen in the end that poor bastard you know i, I think he ended up killing himself because it nearly broke him it was there were so many barriers but against all the odds he followed right. his dream he right. made it happen and he's just okay killed the world you know so um, it's, it's, it's not clever no. it's stupid okay. it's stupid in the freaking extreme but i'm not it... grateful for it no. i'm not grateful for uh, 
No, fair enough. But is it the intelligence or the application where the issues come? Because if you look at, if you read about scientists' lives or mathematicians or people mm. who've contributed to our, let's say, technological capabilities, mm. you're going to say these are often very, I mean, they might have been quite selfless, they might have been greedy, they might have been whatever. But you can't deny that great intelligence has been applied, even to the most awful things like the weapons that are flying around in Ukraine. Name me one affordance one affordance that has provided something for human beings that was better than what the land provided before one technological affordance from the last 200 years i can't answer that because it would well you can't because the, there isn't any no, there isn't anything that's needs. improved on what the land just gave us for free before we end up with inferior versions of those things that make us freaking sick and that make us sad yes. that make us desperate and we all just want to kill ourselves yeah. so you know no, it's not an improvement. Um, we're, we're not grateful for all of these technological advances that are just killing us or excluding us or, you know, damning us, uh, that are damning all of our descendants forever to absolute hell. I mean, no, <laughs> it's not you, clever. It's not well, clever. Perhaps, uh, perhaps we're misthinking uh, or diff have a different attitude to terms. I'll, I'll, put myself in the picture a little bit. I'll be flying mm. to the UK in about six weeks mm. to visit family and so on. And subsequently I'll go to France where I also have relatives and Germany to visit some friends. Mm. Now that's possible because of technology, uh, in particular jets and all the rest that comes with it. The whole so lot. the removal of you and your people from your, from your homelands and, and from the forests of where your culture came from, the removal of all your people to that, you're supposed to be grateful for a technology that can fly you back there for two weeks so you can have a bit of sausage, a bit of <laughs> beer, and 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 realize that you don't speak your language anymore. Um, I, I just I don't think that's anything to be grateful for. It's not a miracle you that you get to fly back to a, a place where that you've been removed from, a place where you're like, you know, you're in this diaspora because you had to go out somewhere else to try and find a job because there were none locally because that's how you conquer people you know you make sure that the internal economy of of villages and communities and regions are completely destroyed so people have to migrate uh, so that the best and brightest of those communities have to be removed if they want to be able to pursue any kind of endeavor that will bring them some kind of financial security yes. so that they can just survive not even thrive and so you've been removed from that and you're on the other side of the planet and you're supposed to be grateful for this technology that can fly you back for a, for a beer fest. <laughs> it's not quite a beer fest, Tyson, but I, I, I take from what you're saying is that there's, in your view, there have been the, any gains from our technological um, development are in the margins, if existent at all. Is that fair summary? Uh, well, I mean, it, it just, what, what are the gains? Oh, I'm not trying to defend them. No, just it's just, I, I just can't even, saying. I can't even imagine what people are thinking of as gains. Yeah. You know, so if you're living in a bioregion, well, okay, let's, let's look at medicine, for example. So it's the idea that there are substances that are universal that you can use on any day of the year you know, to universally treat an ailment, no matter where you are, place and time is removed from the equation. Right. But as humans, you know, for a million years, we've been living, you know, 
in regions that provide everything that you need in terms of medicine and it provides it seasonally for the elements that occur there mm. and you you extract those things if it's from a plant then you extract it in a certain season and from a certain part of that plant and you know applying different kinds of heat or whatever or yeah. water or whatever you do to make the chemical reaction to make that medicine you know that's good technology and that's in step with the landscape it's yeah. it's it's tied at least to the laws of physics you know there is time and there is space in that equation that's been removed you know in this yeah. illusion of progress all of the technological innovations you have do not include variables of time and place um and so they don't really work properly they work sometimes but they don't work you know but you need things that are able to be applied as blanket interventions across millions of people anywhere on the planet because you have a global economy and because you have these nations with central control um so you need to be able to apply everything to everybody in exactly the same way the thing is it doesn't work for most people and it so, doesn't work most yeah. of the time and your regulatory mechanisms on something that massive they can't scale so you get opioid crises you get people gaming the system you get millions and millions of people continually being displaced sure did, so you did, don't have you have homelessness for example it's just escalating ridiculously rapidly exponentially all the time so um, and it's not a, people think that you can solve that problem just with housing but homeless people you can't just give a homeless person yeah. a house and then they'll be back out on the street in a week because a house is a very difficult thing to maintain they don't know how to change the washers and the taps nobody can and the amount of work that's needed to upkeep a house is just ridiculous you need a slave for that and that's okay. that's why we have slavery yeah. and that's why we've had marriage and it's probably a good thing that Anik has not signed on the line that has died and is remaining a de facto because then she'd just be a slave to a household that she has to maintain with her unpaid labor it's an absolutely weep. ridiculous system so everything is ridiculous is, it's just it's is, it's okay, insane Tyson. and i want to get back to the base of the stack okay the base so of the i stack. want to imagine what the hell and how the hell you could have a free market economy or a global economic system or any kind of economic system what would an economy look like where land is not capital right i want to i'm trying to sort of burrow my way into your stack so to speak and one yeah. of the the senses i have is that the issue of local connecting to your local environment and that's the local nature and all that it provides is a sort of key uh, foundation for, let's say, health. And mm. when we displace people, whether it's physically, socially, mentally, and so on, we create conditions for ill health mm. or disease, distress, and so on. Finding one's home. Now, it may be some people understand that, and I'm not one of those people, what belonging really feels like. And you, you know, it might be when you go back to where you grew up, you just feel something special about it. But for many of us, displacement, so to speak, has been part of our, ex our development, our experience. And I'll just throw in mine again. OK, I start off in the UK. I happen to have French relatives, so I get sort of immersed a bit in the French stuff. And then I happen to go to Germany and stay there for five years. So I become sort of slightly German. So I'm kind of uprooted a bit from the Anglo-Saxon thing. And 
I would say now I feel kind of stateless. I don't feel depressed about it, but I do feel I don't know quite where I belong. Um, I sometimes I think, oh, when I go to England, I feel a sort of comradeship, sort of camaraderie with the psychic kind of thing a bit. But it's not strong enough for me to say I need to go there, otherwise I'll wither. Um, But that feeling of being slightly alienated, I think, comes with our condition. And I'm not either endorsing it or otherwise. It just seems to be part of the dilemma, part of the circumstances we're in. And most of us somewhere quietly are yearning to find a home. And for many people, that home is a natural, so to speak, localized home where I, my ground, my nature, my, that gives me my identity. Mm. But I think it's the tragedy of much of our time, of course, is we've got this rampant exploitation and of course a globalized economy. What does that mean? Nothing belongs anywhere, everything flows. And I do wonder whether the challenge is to find a new, let's say, way of thinking that, or even way of scientific thinking that starts to value the more subtle things of our natural environment rather than the blunt tool we currently apply to in our so to speak destructive technology which is just it's just a matter and it's annika's gonna have to speak because she's got so much Mm. um here that she can bring in but it's it's just a matter of 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 looking and seeing what affordances your land offers you Mm. and being in those affordances, um, you know, utilizing those things, uh, living with those things, because if you're doing that, then those things are sustained over time. Just mm. your use of those in the landscape will um, uh, will do that for you. Um, and then, so if someone comes along with a shiny thing that claims to do the same thing, it's like, well, I don't need that. You know, so I mean, that yeah. that's just a that's just a basic um, you know paradigm shift. Um, unfortunately, that that's co-opted by you know naturopathy and homeopathy and you know the entire wellness bloody you know um, guru cultish you know ridiculous economy. Everything gets co-opted in this economy and rebranded and turned into something that's just snake oil. Um, so you know um, it's it's every single intervention I look at always loops back in and is swallowed by liberalism is embraced by liberalism uh sanitized repackaged rebranded and sold to us back to us in an inferior form that excludes time and place and excludes us from the landscape so for me every single intervention every single protest every single movement every single revolution is just bullshit and i just want to cut through all of that and get to the stack (laughs) the base of the stack the mycelium of this problem and okay. you know, and and every analysis that I've done and gone through all this with people, it always arrives back at the same place, which is you know, land as capital well, is well, the basis and the root of all of this problem yeah. of where we're at. Even industrial civilization would yes. not have done this much damage if it did not have that at the base sure. of the stack. Okay. So, Anik, we got to come back to that. Yes, Anik. Um, initially, a- and, and I think <laughs> there's there's a whole uh, decision tree that comes out of. Um, of her assertion that you don't really even own land when you have freehold title of that land, that that's something of an illusion. Um, it's just a, an instrument that has you, um, you know, holding that and developing it and doing all the heavy lifting for, you know, a, eventually a state or corporation that's going to remove you from it. 
Right. Uh, before you start, Annette, we are going to have to sort of wrap up soonish. Yeah. And I don't know whether we are able to we, we've uh, land somewhere. Do you um, use the pun? Um, yeah. But perhaps a little, a, a few thoughts forward as to what would we give attention to more and avoid giving attention to uh, of other things that will take us towards a, a, an appreciation we need to, dis, to to develop. So perhaps, anyway, you chip in now. <laughs> um, yeah, gosh, you said something, Tyson, and I... Now I lost it while, <laughs> um, well, you know, like first um, in terms of for most of for most of the population, um, and I would I suppose like in any settler country, um, you know, I, owning the land is 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 kind of an illusion, as you said, Tyson, because like in Canberra, for example, like even if you own a house or you and you think you own a patch of land ultimately it's it's more like a, a lease style we don't necessarily own the ground itself mm. um so it's not it um and i was kind of thinking when um you were both talking that um in a sense on a land as capital as enabled um intergenerational um wealth which has taken like has taken some proportion today that um we only have like maybe a five percent or one percent of the population that basically have ownership of that wealth which was based on the capacity to exploit the ground and so it's not necessarily you don't even need to own a specific areas you just yeah need to be able to to buy it so it, we we it's not even it who control a certain patch like the the well they will they will get out of it is so little i mean i suppose the say saudi arabia um and and mid uh, gulf example is a little bit potentially a bit different but i don't know that patch uh, very much but like here uh, we should more be concerned about basically not so much um like if if we return first nations ownership or sovereignty or if we own the land as common um like what will be the impact of it but what's the impact of letting this system continuing like so like we we need we absolutely need to to stop having um land and resource as as like available for endless exploitation because it doesn't only have impact on places that are being exploited i'm i'm extremely concerned now at the moment with the global warming and and i won't say that because it's cooling somewhere and we can have a debate about that but um no but with climate change where in in the Torres Strait like there's a real risk um of of some of the inhabited island that might completely disappear so mm. Um, so it's actions and decisions and, and greed that is happening somewhere else geographically that means that these people will actually have no land eventually and will be dislocated um, for no fault of their, of their own. And so we, 
we need you were saying something bernard earlier about um like the the value of the technology and everything and i agree that there's things that makes all our life easier there's a there's some issues with the convenience actually at the moment because it makes us even exploit the world more um but let's say that we want to maintain some convenience we need to kind of like come to a common like to a, a we need to discuss what's enough. Like we need to put a cap on 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 exploitation and and capacity for some um, individual or corporation to to keep on accumulating wealth because yeah. like some corporations, some some people can actually earn own countries these days because they Indeed. have that much money. Well, you have a system where if that stops, if those things stop growing. And if that extraction doesn't increase exponentially all the time, the entire system will collapse. Yeah, well, cool. So yeah. we're talking about, you know, uh, you can't just regulate that and say, oh, no, 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 no. Like we're going to cap the growth here. Mm. Keep the same system, we'll cap the growth there because the entire system will collapse and it will collapse within a couple of months if you do that. You know, it demands deregulation. It demands escalation um, of all the worst excesses of the system and all of the, the the horrendous externalities that has to be ramped up by a factor of 10 you know every couple of years or so um you know and it's moore's law in in the same way as it is for technology and innovation yeah. um so you know I, it's we're talking about you, you have to address the structural yeah of the I, thing and it beyond just capitalism or anything else when you get to the when you get to the absolute foundation of it um the way we 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 have rebranded our habitat, mm. you know, our land, our very being, our bodies as capital, as finan mere financial abstractions, um, that is killing us. Yes, uh, and I'm going any to... system that you want to build that's going to last is going to have to be built on land as land, not land as capital to borrow against. Right. I'm going to add a a couple of thoughts. And one is that we know, I think it's understood that a lot of the need or desire to accumulate, to secure stuff, is to address an inner emptiness, an inner void, a lack in another area. That when we lived from, so to speak, cultural activity, when that was the dominating experience within groups of people and so on, the need for stuff was kind of irrelevant. Now, that's not easy. It's one thing to know that. It's another question, what do you do about it? And I want to throw in one other thought, which often comes to me, and it's a little a few words from the I Ching. Uh, and they are, if you want to defeat evil, take energetic steps towards the good. And I think that's a helpful thought, because when I hear you, Tyson, I, I always think, oh, my... You know, I'm exa exasperated because I hear your feeling. You know, I hear mm. your your desperation, perhaps. But it, we mustn't let ourselves be undermined by desperation. We've still got to channel our energy towards the good because that is our hope to, mm. to find ways of pursuing the good. Well, we have had half a unclear. half a century half a century of positive thinking. Um, and, and look where that's got us. <laughs> well, we haven't you know, got it right, obviously. Yeah. But look, uh, I, I, I'm not talking about being negative. I'm just talking about being grounded in reality. Yes. Grounded in the basic physics of what's happening. Um, okay. And, and of what your 
evolutionary signals are your biological signals yes. you know as a species that you're feeling you know um your frustration responses yeah. and the absolute mismatch between what you're being sold and what the land is telling you um listen to yourself listen to the land see if you can hear just one whispered word from your ancestors and more importantly from your descendants and just um see how you go but if right. we keep selling the lie and selling hope in the lie and that if we just keep doubling down on this system that it will push us through because the net benefit has been better it's better than what anything that went before and blah de blah and if we keep going with that that exceptionalism that ridiculous notion then we're all fucking dead uh yes and and we know that of course at some point the and that's not desperation the, because the, i don't care i, the, I can't well, the, wait the, the, the to land, die that'll be freaking awesome <laughs> it would be awesome not to exist anymore that would be fucking great so it's not desperation it's just it, absolute frustration with with okay. having conversations with people um where it's just the the terms of the conversation and the boundaries of the conversation are just um uh, all Ill, just grounded in absolute yes. illusion well um, can i take it that while this is a very big topic there is more to uh, to come to come together on and maybe we can have further engagements with each other uh, yeah, with we could come together on some dirt we could come together that would on be land a great thing actually because that we're all be the same species thing. and yes. we need a fucking habitat we've got yes. the same habitat and the same needs that's where we need to come together not on the like uh, rearranging the furniture in your ridiculous ideologies and ridiculous financial systems and complex stupid byzantine bloody messes you know uh, uh, about trying to tweak that a little bit it's just there's no point even having those conversations you know if we want to talk as human beings we need to talk within place in a landscape and um and i think once you do that then you'll start to see how much that is nearly dead all dead um it's and, connections yeah yeah I, and i certainly endorse that it, it is a strange thing to have a communication over zoom but sometimes that's the best we can do but i certainly acknowledge that when you're in the room on the ground in front of people it's the yeah. world of difference mm. yeah okay look thank you both for a stimulating and challenging uh, discussion on topics that I won't uh, stop thinking about, and I clearly you're not going to disengage, Tyson. So thanks. No, that's for all right. One day we'll one day we'll talk concerns. about land, Landers Capital. And, yes, and, and, and thank you, Anik, uh, for joining us and sharing your experience. <laughs> Sorry for being late too. <laughs> uh, that's all right. That's all right. And what I'll do is once the recording's completed, I'll I'll send you a copy so you can. <laughs> listen to it and tell me if you think anything should no be removed <laughs> whatever you like man. I, I don't really mind okay well thanks okay. again I'm thank you